Today, we are starting a brand new series I am incredibly excited about, and it's called The Pursuit, um, and it's just this right here. I believe uh, absolutely with every fiber of my being, uh, despite what culture says, despite what st- uh, statistics say, uh, that marriage uh, is, uh, could, and should be uh, one of the greatest attributes of our life. Uh, what's one of the greatest gifts that God gave us, that marriage should not be uh, a, a thing of stress in our life. It should not be something that we're dreading. It should not be major issues in our life. It should not be the problem in our life. Uh, going through multiple marriage should not be a part of who we are. Uh, that marriage was a gift from God. God created marriage. God created love. God created sex. God created intimacy. God created all of that amazingness. Um, and that uh, is supposed to be one of the things that we get the most joy from in this life. And I believe that it's something that can be obtained in this life. I don't think that it's a pipe dream. I don't think that uh, marriage, you know, a good marriage, a solid marriage, a happy marriage, an exciting marriage is something that is just written about in Nicholas Sparks' uh, novels. Now, why are people laughing? Like, I don't read books. I've never read a Nicholas Spark, and the only one I watched was a notebook, and yes, I cried at the end. All right. I believe in love. I do, man. I believe that it is a powerful thing. I think that it is a real thing. And I think that uh, I think it's something to be sought after. And so in this series, here's what we're going to do. Everybody from the single people uh, to the married people to that used to be married and I'm, I'm, I'm about to be married again. People to the I've tried married 74 times and it's just not my thing. All right. To all everybody involved. All right. I believe with all my heart that we should pursue marriage the way that God intended it to be. And so we're going to start with that. Throughout the course of this series, we're going to hit a lot of fun topics. Week three is my favorite. It's called Fatal Sex. It's going to be awesome. You should be here. All right. On that week, all right, last year we did a series, and some of you may remember we did a series called Bringing Sexy Back. All right. And there were not not many, but there were a few people that were like, you need to give us a warning uh, when you're going to talk about sex. The name of the series was a pretty good warning. All right. Um, So... I just want to throw that out there. If your kids are in here, that's why we built them an area of their own. So take them over there, okay? Uh, I had one person come up and go, it was a day we talked about, uh, we were just talking about some, you know, sex and stuff. And, and they were like, well, I brought my neighbor today. And I'm like, well, good, man. Awesome. And they're like, yeah, but I didn't want the first message. They ever heard you to be about sex. Why? Sex is awesome. Sex is an amazing thing. So third week, sex. It's going to be sex. Sex is the third week. Sex, third week. We're going to talk about sex on the third week. So if you have uh, neighbors that don't like sex, <laughs> don't invite them on the third week. The third week, we're talking about sex. Yeah, well, come on. That's right. We're talking about sex. All right, so listen, this series, we're going to go through all the different foundations and the different stages of, of building a relationship um, with another human being, um, and, and God calls this thing marriage, all right? And we're, and we're going to start off with today's uh, sermon called Fatal Attraction. Next week will be Fatal Foundations. Third week will be Fatal <gasps> Sex. I'm not going to make you do it again. Um, and then we'll do uh, Fatal Conflicts, and then we'll do Fatal Actions or Fatal Habits on the, on the last one. I have, uh, I have personally never been genuinely more excited uh, for a series than this one. I think it's just going to be fantastic. So I'm going to ask you to do a thing for me. I'm going to ask you to invite somebody every single week during this series. That's how much I believe in the series. Um, I don't want you to badger people, but I want you to invite people because uh, we always say the greatest investment you can ever make in someone's life begins with an invitation. You never know what God wants to do. Um, And just let me throw this out here because this happened in the last series. Um, Don't invite only the people who are obviously having marriage problems. Okay, all right. You don't want to walk them and go, hey, I was saw you beat your wife the other day, and uh, we're having a good series on marriage and thought maybe you should come hang out with us. All right, 
That's not how you do that, okay? Um, it, listen, everybody, this is a series for everybody, uh, single teens, uh, married 20-somethings, uh, second married. I mean, just, it's, it, there's going to be so much for everybody, and it's just going to be awesome. So um, I, I'm super pumped about it. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Not every message is going to be out of Song of Solomon, um, but this one is uh, Song, of Sol- uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 1. We're going to hang out there. While you guys are flipping there, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Uh, Father God, I pray, Lord, right now that you just let your spirit and your presence rest in this house, God. Uh, I I pray, Father, that you would just uh, unleash yourself, just unleash your presence and unleash your word, God, this morning into our heart and our lives. Uh, Father, as we talk about one of the greatest uh, gifts, just one of the greatest ideas in history in the universe uh, through the course of this series, the idea of marriage, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, just speak to us, God, just on a deep level, Father. I pray, Lord, that uh, no matter how many things we talk about, Father, I, I know that within this series there's going to be some regrets, God, brought up. There's going to be some things from our past that, uh, uh, that, we, that we look back on and we know that we messed up. We know, I pray, Father, that no one feels any ounce of judgment or condemnation, God, or guilt. Father, that this is about grace and this is about pursuing something uh, so fantastic in the future and not worrying about anything thing in the past. God, I pray, Lord, that you just let your spirit be with us in your holy and your precious name. Amen. So here's, here's the concept of today, and I want you to understand this. Marriage is, is something that, that produces, and when, when we get in marriage, we see issues, or we see situations, or we see uh, all kinds of different issues, and we're thinking, man, where did that come from? Right when you, you see somebody, they're 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 the poster child marriage or the poster child uh, couple, and and then they're, they're doing it. They got good jobs, they've got good kids, and they, and they've got they've been married for thirty years, and then all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, uh, the marriage just implodes, and they go their separate ways, and you're just like, man, I never saw that coming. You know, I never saw that coming. Or there's, there's other marriages that are uh, very, very obviously falling apart. Um, and you're just like, go ahead and just please get divorced before you literally murder each other. Like, so there's, we see this, but here's what I want you to understand about marriage. Marriage was never meant to end, Right? That doesn't mean that, that, that doesn't condemn those of us that have, have been connected to or part of divorces. That's not what it's about. But marriage was never meant to end. And I think in this country um, and in our current culture, because so many marriages end, because so many marriages end in divorce, because the statistics are so high for unfaithfulness and so high for, for separations and divorces, that a lot of times when we talk about marriage or we talk about, about uh, uh, the God's design for marriage, we're almost like we're, we're playing to lose, right? We're just, the goal is to not get divorced, right? How do we talk about marriage? How do we teach our people about marriage so that they don't get divorced? But that's not the goal at all. That's not the plan. That's not what it was about. Marriage was supposed to be something to be enjoyed. Marriage was uh, marriage supposed to be something that is supposed to be an amazing part of our life. And so as we kind of go through this, I don't, I'm not going to teach, and, and Solomon doesn't write about, God doesn't teach about, Paul doesn't talk about it. As we go through Scripture, none of these Scriptures are, 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 the goal of these Scriptures are not to prevent you from getting a divorce. The goal of these uh, Scriptures and the goal of God and God's desire for your life is that you have an amazing marriage. Does that make sense? And so I think a lot of times we kind of get into marriage and we're like, okay, let's do this, this, and that so that we don't get divorced 10 years from now. And in reality, we should be going, let's do this, this, and that so that we can enjoy the amazing gift that marriage is supposed to be. And so I want you to understand, I want you to change your viewpoint or your philosophy on it uh, up front. Like, I don't want you to look at this like, okay, what can, what can we pull from uh, Pastor Jordan's messages so that we don't sign the divorce papers we filed last week, right? That's not the point. The point is, how can we by God's design and God's word, find and enjoy 
the greatest thing in our lives, right? And God says this, and one of the things that I want you to understand about marriage is that marriage does not begin, the success or the failure of marriage does not begin in marriage, and it doesn't even begin in, in dating relationships, it doesn't begin in courting, it begins with you as a single individual. Um, and so today, the one thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about the idea of fatal attraction. All right, what attracts you to somebody and what somebody is attracted to you for? Because these are the things that lay the foundation of marriage later on. Does that make sense? All right, and so has anybody ever heard of the law of attraction? Law of attraction. All right, one person, two, three, four, five. There we go. Everybody's being honest. I don't want to be the first one. Okay. Everybody in this room has heard of the law of attraction, okay? Raise your hand if you did ninth grade science class, ever, in the last 55 years. Okay, then you've heard of the law of attraction. The law of attraction basically is a physics term, uh, that, and, and it comes from a, a summation called like attracts like. And the whole point of the law of attraction is that, is that there is a belief that when the chemicals and the environment and certain attributes, that the qualities or the features that one chemical or that one substance is attracted to early on before they be, become connected and explode and make bombs or whatever it is that they're going to do, you can tell just by, the, just by the qualities and the features that they are attracted to how the end result is going to be. Does that make sense? So, all right, so here's what I want you to understand about the law of attraction in you, is that who you are attracted to, what you are attracted to, I can go ahead and tell you based off scripture, if I can say, well, what is the one thing you're attracted to him the most? I mean, what are the four or five characteristics about him or about her that makes you attracted to them? And if you list those and you were honest about those, then biblically, using just a little bit of wisdom and a little bit of logic, not a lot, I promise you, just a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of logic, and a little bit of scripture, I could tell you very easily the type of marriage you'll probably have, uh, how things will go, and then I'll tell you definitely when, it, when and if it will, it will probably end. Because who you're attracted to, what you're attracted to, and who is attracted to you, it matters in a great, massive way. And have you ever thought about who you're attracted to, why you're attracted to them? Right? And I know that this first message seems like it's geared towards single people. That's because it is. All right? But I want you to understand that if you're married, these four qualities, four characters we're going to talk about still heavily matter in your life. So I just want you to think, let's just play a game. Think about your wife. Think about your husband. All right, think about your current boyfriend, your girlfriend. Think about that guy or that girl you got a crush on. What are you attracted to about them right now? What is the thing? Is it the six-pack? Right? Is it his fast car? You know, I mean, is it, is it, is it financial stability? I mean, what are the things, when you're, when you're sitting down and you're writing down a list of things, you know, when you're talking about your friends, what are the things that you are attracted to? What are the things that matter to you as you begin to look for uh, a partner in life, as you begin to look for your spouse, as you begin to look for the next person, you know, you're going to date or you're going to court or you're going you're gonna to begin a, a, a romantic relationship with? What are the things that are, are attracted to you? I mean, is it the physical features? Is it the body? I mean, you think about it. What is it? Just think about it in your heart and think about it in your mind. Right, and the law of attraction and the like attracts like, and the, it says this, says that based off purely what you are attracted to and what they are attracted to you about you, the characteristics about you that they are attracted to will highly affect your marriage, right? So the things that you are attracted to now and the things that make other people attracted to you now will highly affect your marriage later on, 
right? So if, and, and this is that whole thing. Have you ever heard the classic, you know, well, he drove a fast car and he, you know, he was the quarterback. He worked at McDonald's, but he was there and it was just great. And we were in love and, and then we got married and then we had our first kid and uh, then we were broke and everything was horrible. Um, and he left and now I'm alone and just waiting to die. Right? That's a good love story. I mean, it matters. I mean, what is it, what is it about you that you are attracted to? What, what is it about that person that you're attracted to? And what about you? What, what, what signals are you throwing out there? Right? I, I love when I'm talking to girls. I just can't seem to find a right guy. Every single club I go to, all right, no matter how short, uh, short my skirt is, all right, no matter how much skin, no matter how quick I move through the bases, I just can't seem to find a good guy. I told you, a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of logic, all right? I like to fish. And here's the thing about fishing, man. If you are fishing with a worm and you keep catching catfish, all right, and you keep using a worm, what type of fish are you going to keep catching? Catfish. All right. If you want to catch a, a striper and striper only eat little live minnows, how much sense does it make to keep fishing with a worm if what you really want to catch is a striper? Zero. It, zero sense. And if you go through there, every other parallel in life, this makes every, we get this. But when it comes down to this right here, we do not ever consider what am I throwing out there? What is attractive about me? What am I looking into? And we get into these relationships and then we get what I call pot committed. We get in because he's hot or we get in because they're rich or we get in because whatever reason and we start giving ourselves away physically and we start giving ourselves away emotionally and we start giving ourselves and we, we build this relationship and then we're, we just, well, we've been with them for a year. We've been with them for five years. We've been with them for 10 years and we've just got so much connected together. And, and I mean, I know that the car I used to like, he crashed it. And I know that, you know, high school is over and I know that, uh, you know, he hasn't really, I know, but it, if we just stay and we stay and we stay, we wind up going through the process. We wind up getting married. And that initial attraction becomes and lays the foundation for a marriage, right? And it was literally found. I, I want you to seriously think about this. Think about this. So many marriages are literally founded on absolutely pathetic attractions. She had hot legs. She looked good in a bathing suit. He had a great job. Think about it. What you're attracted to and what is attractive about you lays the foundation for the rest of your life. So it matters. If you go through and you read Song of Solomon, I'm going to read just the first chapter right here. And this is going to be, and if you've ever read Song of Solomon, I had to explain this a lot during the Bringing Sexy Back series. There's some stuff in here that we're going to need explaining, right? Um, so like in a minute, he's going to call her a horse. Stuff like that. So we're just going to read through this slowly, and I can guarantee you, you're not going to get it, all right? But I just want you to read through this. Chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, you can download our app real fast um, and use the Bible uh, on there we have. So here it is, Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am very dark. 
but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. You guys you with me? You have no idea what we're talking about. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me whom my soul loves, where your pasture, your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like the one veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and the pastures of your young goats. So romantic. By the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare. Among Pharaoh's chariots, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your necklace string of joils, joils. We will make you for ornaments of gold studded with silver. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. Beloved to me, you guys didn't laugh at nard. <laughs> to me, that's funny. Beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. Uh-oh. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Inande. Behold, you're beautiful, my love. Behold, you're beautiful. Your eyes are doves. All right, you guys ready? Let's pray. All right, honest to God, no Bible scholars who there has a firm understanding of what just happened. Anybody? All right, it took me seven months of studying to really understand the fullness of this. All right, so what we have here, this is the initial attractants, the initial foundations, the initial things that these two individuals are attracted to. Um, and they're really, really awesome. There's four characteristics that lie deep within this, uh, and we're going to talk about them right now. The first one is godly character. Godly character. I want you to look at what she says right here. This is the thing that attracts her to him. Let, me kiss me, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. All right, so I want you to understand this. Solomon is one of the wealthiest men that have ever walked the face of the earth. He's one of the wisest men that ever walked the face of the earth. He built kingdoms for fun in his spare time. All right, this is a great guy. I mean, you guys go and you play, you know, 18 holes of golf, and he's like, hey, I think I'll take over a city and build a kingdom. I mean, this is a, this is a magnificent individual, and I want you to understand the thing that she is attracted to initially up front. The first thing that she talks about is his name, his character, who he is, and who people say he is. And he talks, and he says, no wonder all the young women love him. Right? No wonder everybody talks about you. No wonder everybody's in, in love with you because of your name, because of who you are, because of your character, because of your integrity. All right? Now, I want, you to, I want you to understand this. I'm going to make a statement, and it is going to be one of the most important statements of the entire series. And I want you to understand the power of the statement, the truth of the statement, and how much it absolutely affects your marriage now if you're married and will affect your marriage in the future. Marriage is a God thing. Okay? Marriage is a God thing. There is no country that decided one day to create marriage. God created marriage. There was no culture that got together one day and said, hey, guys, we need to, this, is, this is the thing to do. Let's call it marriage. All right? God created marriage. 
There was no individual, there was no tribe, there was no nation, there was nothing ever that came up and created marriage, the attributes of marriage. God created marriage from day one, Genesis chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. He lays out the foundations for marriage. Marriage is a God thing. God created marriage, God created love, God created sex. God created intimacy. God created, it was his design and it was his desire that you find somebody to partner up with in this life and seek after him together and serve him as long as you live on this earth. That was the design set forth by God. Not by any government, not by any culture, not by any nation, not by any group of people. This was a God thing. All right. It is incredibly important that you understand that because a lot of you sitting here in this very room, you're trying to do marriage without God. And it is absolutely physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually impossible to enjoy the marriage that God designed without God being a part of it. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Okay. It is incredibly important because I hear people say all the time, right, I want intimacy in my marriage. I want to be able to enjoy my marriage. I want the best sex life. I want to be able to do this. I want all these things. You want all of the attributes of a godly marriage, right, but you just don't want the God that goes along with it. But it is absolutely impossible, absolutely impossible for you to have a successful, enjoyable long-term, out-of-this-world, crazy, awesome marriage without God being at the core and center of it. So that means, if that's true, and that will lay the foundation for every series, every message in the series, if that's true, then the thing that should attract you the most, if you genuinely, truly, from the bottom of your heart, want a successful marriage... You want an amazing marriage. You want it to be the way it was intended to be. You want it to be the way God designed it to be. Then you need to know in your heart, then you need to know in your mind, the greatest characteristic, the greatest attribute, the greatest thing that you should be attracted to, and the greatest thing that should be in you that others are attracted to is God and your relationship with God and your character being solely founded on the idea of God. Because I'm going to make you a promise. No matter how hot he is, no matter how hot she is, no matter how fast the car is, no matter how much money they got, no matter how driven they are, none of that matters. Because I'm going to tell you something. If God is not a part of their life right now, in this moment, there is a huge possibility that God will not be a part of the marriage later on. All right? Unless God moves into his heart, moves into her heart, changes her, changes him, makes himself known to them, and does that miracle salvation thing in their heart, in their life. All right? You will engage in a dating relationship. You will engage in a marriage with someone who does not serve, honor, and worship God. And therefore, God is it's impossible for God to be in the center of a marriage if both people do not serve and honor God. And see, and there's this thing, and, and, and it's called missionary dating, right? Well, I'm a Christian, and they're not, and I'm going to date them to show them the light of God. All right? And I, I, listen, I've seen this happen, and I've seen it work, and I've seen it work out, but I'm going to make you a promise. It was because of God's grace, not your stupidity. I'm telling you, wisdom, wisdom says 
Solomon says, Paul says, God says, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the number one attribute you should be after and everything else fades away is do they love, do they serve? When they bow down at night, is it to our King and Savior Jesus Christ? If it is not, you need to get the heck away from them until God does a work in their life. And you say, well, it happened in my life. What well, happened? It happened to somebody incredibly close to me who I love so much. But I'm going to tell you something. That people lose fortunes in casinos with the same logic. Well, it happened once, so it'll happen again. They won $2.2 billion last week, so I'll probably win $2.2 billion this week. It's flawed logic. That is not the rule. That is definitely the exception. And see, and you're getting in there, and, and, and you know, and see, and especially if you're a Christian, especially if you're a believer, you're getting to a relationship, and in the back of your mind, you know it's not right. You know it's not smart. You know it's not wise. And you just hope, and you're hoping, and you're hoping, and you're hoping that something changes in his life or something changes in her life. But it's the number one characteristic, the number one attribute that you should be attracted to and that you need to make sure they are attracted to you is God and your relationship with God. Because marriage is a God thing. Sex is a God thing. Intimacy is a God thing. Love is a God thing. You can't have marriage without God. You can't have a healthy sex life without God. You cannot have intimacy without God. And you cannot have love without God. God is love. God created marriage. God created sex. God created intimacy. You cannot do it without God. Period. Marriage is a God thing. Number two. Growing trust. And I want you to understand this. Yes, a part of this is does he lie, does she lie, is she honest, is he honest? But the idea of growing trust really has nothing to do with honesty necessarily. It's the idea of, of can I trust them with me? Can she trust herself with me, right? Can, can Courtney, my wife, can she trust her weaknesses with me? Can she trust her insecurities with me? Can she be completely open with me? See, and she lays this out here, this, this, this young lady talking to Solomon, and I love this. She says, Right here in, in verses five and six, she says, dark am I, and I want you to understand this, dark am I, yet lovely daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards and my own vineyard I had to neglect. So I want you to understand this. Dark has nothing to do with race and everything to do with the, with the darkness or lightness. It's like being tan or pale. Right? In today's society, we all want to be dark, right? If you're pale, you'll go to the tan bed until you look like a suitcase. I mean, that's just kind of like, that's just what our desires are. We want to be dark. In this society, in this culture, being, being light-skinned, right? If you were Caucasian, being pale was attractive. 
If you, were, if you had more of an African descent, being light-skinned wasn't attractive. If you were Middle Eastern, being light-skinned, it, it didn't matter the race. It was just all about being light-skinned because if you were dark-skinned, that means you hung out a lot outside, means you worked outside, means you were probably poor, you probably came from a, an unsuccessful family, um, and it said a lot about you. So for her to reveal this in the first chapter, right, this is her, one of her deep-seated insecurities. Does that make sense? I mean, she's coming in. She's like, don't, don't stare at me. I'm dark. And she even, she even justifies it. I mean, she's saying, God, I want you to understand, like, like I'm not dark because of my mother's sons, right? I'm assuming stepbrothers. My, my mother's sons, they were mad at me. They were angry with me. So they made me, they forced me to work outside when I was a kid or in my teen years. And, and that's why my, my pigment is so dark. That's why I'm dark-skinned. And, and, and she's revealing an insecurity, a physical insecurity to him, Right? And, that, and, that's what, and that's how it, it begins. That's how trust begins is, is are they okay with my weaknesses? Right? Can, can I, if, if I'm myself, have you ever been in a situation, you know, where, where you're, you, you, you're vulnerable with someone, right? you're open with someone, you're yourself around somebody, and then they take the weakest parts of you and they use it against you later. Have you ever been there? Right, I've been there. For some people, the person that does that the most in their life is their spouse. Growing trust, it begins in the very first few conversations. It begins, it begins in the attraction. When you look in, is this somebody that I can trust with my life? Is this somebody I can trust to protect me, to cover my weaknesses, to be supportive with my insecurities? Or, or, or are they judgmental? Or are they condemning? Or are they always trying to fix you? They're always trying to control you, and they're always pointing out your flaws. Right? You don't feel loved. You don't feel supported. Right? You don't feel protected. And so you don't, you don't trust them. And I want you to understand something. Outside of the first one, outside of godly character, outside of fearing God, outside of God being the center of your life, the, probably the absolute strongest attribute to any successful relationship, the foundation of any successful relationship, friendship, especially marriage, is trust. Absolutely. Dude, it is difficult to love somebody you can't trust, isn't it? Doesn't mean you, it's impossible, it just means it's difficult. But let me tell you what's not pretty difficult, right? It's, it's very, very not difficult to not be intimate with somebody that you don't trust. It's very, very, very impossible to have a solid, God-filled, exciting, amazing sex life with somebody that you do not trust. Those things, those deep-seated things, that intimacy and that love, and that, that is founded on trust. It's founded on, I trust this person. Because what happens is, is when they, they open up with this, this physical insecurity that's really not that big of a deal. It probably is to her, but it's really not that big of a deal. Right, and when you open yourself up, dude, I'm going to tell you something, and this is the honest to God truth, man. It is growing up, and I don't know if it was just because I was so prideful, but growing up, it was so difficult for me to be vulnerable. I did not want you to know me. I did not want you. I had, I had an image of what I wanted, and I went, the real me, the things that I struggled with, I wanted them kind of in the back. And the truth, the honest to God truth, the first girl in my entire life that I was vulnerable with, that I opened up my weaknesses to, that it was, was my wife, Courtney. 
Because early on, I knew, early I looked at her, I knew this woman, I could trust her with who I am. She's not going to judge me. She's not going to condemn me. She's not going to use it against me. I can be stupid. This morning, I'm standing in the bathroom fixing my hair. Just for a show of hands, how many of you got the Snapchat of me singing in the bathroom this morning? I just physically, one, two, three, five, great, okay. So I'm standing there, and I'm singing a song. I don't know what I'm singing. I'm rapping, actually, uh, be truthfully. And I'm fixing my hair because I was just excited about the series. I pretty much just wake up on drugs anyway. Like, I'm just like, blah. All right, and I'm sitting in there, and, and, and she's like, and I turn around, and I'm like, dancing. I'm just so, so stupid, actually. And I turn around, and she's like, that's. <laughs> and I was like, babe. And she looked at me, and she goes, will you please let me send it to people, but I promise I won't if you don't want me to, because I don't want you to be embarrassed. All right? That was her. That, honestly, I know that's stupid. That was her. That was her protecting me, right? She was like, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to expose you, all right? You have to have growing trust. And yet, honesty is a huge part of it. But more of it is, can you trust this person with the weakest part of who you are? And can you be trusted with other people's insecurities? Right? Or are you ashamed of them? Or do you call them out? Are you always trying to fix them and change them? Or are you just trusted with them? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I mean, you think about, those, think about seasons of your marriage. Those of you who have been older or married longer, not older, that have had negative seasons in your life, negative seasons in your marriage, think about how many were truly founded in distrust. Truly founded and, and not being, I don't know if what you're saying is accurate. I don't know if, if how you're acting. I, I can't trust you with me. How many of those issues are founded in trust? The one psychologist said every single marital issue is founded in trust. He said every single marital issue, some way or another, is founded in trust. So godly character and growing trust. Number three, and this is one I'm going to hang out on just for a minute. Number three, third most important characteristic to see or attracting to see is the right standard. Godly standards, high standards. Now, I want you to understand this because a lot of times, dude, I, and I've met girls, I've met guys like this, they have, they have high standards, right? They have, they have a height requirement. Right? They've got a, they do, I'm telling you. They've got a height requirement. They've got, they've got a physical requirement. I mean, have you ever met some of those people that's like on the first date, there's like a list of things. If they say this, if they do this, if they look like this, if they show up in this, if they do this, it's over. All right? They're probably still single. All right? But there's, we all, we have these standards. We, we have standards. We have high standards sometimes. All right? But there's a difference in high standards and right standards and godly standards. Right? And this is the thing that I, and I want you to understand how important this is to building a foundation for a successful marriage. Remember, the goal, the goal is to have an amazing marriage. Right? The goal is to have an amazing marriage. And I, I want to show you this. And this girl, I'm telling you something. The girl just takes the lead in chapter one. This is what she says to him. And I'm telling you, you're not going to get it at first, but I'm going to explain it. I'm telling you, this, she just flat calls him out. And I love this right here. Right, standards. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock. I'm going to explain in a minute. And where you rest your sheep midday, why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? All right, here we go. Culture in this day. So a big, huge part of, of, of 
this culture was livestock, especially sheep, right? And so even, even very, very, very rich people um, would take their sheep and they would be a part of, of going out, and especially when they were younger, and, and, and putting them in the right fields and, and letting them graze um, and, and do their sheep thing and watch over them and protect them and then, and then take them back. And they would, they would run these. Everybody did. This wasn't just like a, a poor, everybody did this because it was such a huge part you know, of their culture. And so um, a lot of things, it, 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 just like in any good business, if you know where everybody's going to be, you know, and you're wanting to sell something or give something away, then you would find your way there to sell that thing. Does that make sense? Location, 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 right? We all get that. So there were a certain group of young ladies called veiled women. And I'll just say it like this. They, they gave themselves away for a price. All right, that's all I'm going to say. Does that make sense? Shake your head if you follow me. Okay. They were prostitutes. All right. So they would kind of go out here. And here's what the young men would do. Here's what the young men would do. I'm serious. It's kind of like that thing. Well, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to go out and uh, I'm, I'm going to hang with the flocks today. I'm going to go out and hang with my sheep. And, and, we're, and, and they knew where the women were. And so they were, we're going to go over there in the, in the, in the, in the field near the Kadar tree. Um, just because it feels like a good place to hang out today. Because what they would do is they would go on their cycles, they would go over there, they would rest, they would take their breaks, everybody would go on cycles, and then they would go hang out with the veiled women for a while. So we're talking like, what is this? Chap- uh, verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7. She's like, dude, where do you graze your flock at? She's like, where do you rest your sheep in the middle of the day? She's like, dude, what's your standard on the sex thing? Straight up. Where are you at? Sexually. Is that awkward yet? Everybody's like, man, you told us week three we'd be talking about sex. (laughs) I mean, up front, she gets right in his grill and she says, listen, I just need to know. I need to know, like, is is a part of your day hanging out over there? You know, what field? Is it the field near the veiled women? Is that a part of your life? Is that a part of your standard? Where are your standards at? And he said, because I just want you to know something about me. I'm not going to be a veiled woman hanging out by the flocks of your friends. I'm not going to give myself away so easily. That's a standard in my life. She just up front, she just says, that's a standard in my life. And I'm not going to give myself away. And so she's just challenging him up front. All right? She wants a little sheep GPS. <laughs> because she knows if he's been hanging over there in that field, he's been partaking. She's up front. She just flat says it. And here's the thing that I want you to understand, and, and this is going to seem harsh, and I'm going to be open with you up front. In this area, as much as I regret it, I didn't go into marriage a virgin. All right? So growing up, my standards were pretty low. All right? It's one of my greatest regrets. It's one of my greatest regrets. My wife was, and I considered it one of the greatest gifts even though I'm so undeserving of it, right? But here's the thing that I learned growing up is that outside of a God thing happening in your life, a heart change, standards usually don't change. Outside of a a miraculous God intervention, saving of the soul, changing of the heart, Standards usually don't change. And if in their youth they're hanging out with the veiled women, later on they're probably still going to be hanging out with the veiled women. Right? And this is the thing that I want you to understand, and, I, and I'm talking to the singles, 
and I'm talking to the people, you're in a dating relationship, you're engaged, I want you to understand this. I want you, I want you to hang with me just for a second. This is not said to judge. This is not said to condemn. But I want you to understand you have two options. As a single, you have two options as a dating couple. You can either honor God or dishonor God. The foundation of your marriage can be you honoring God sexually or you sinning against God sexually. There is no middle road. And so right now in the heat of the moment, especially for the younger people, right, your hormones are going crazy and culture says just do it, everybody does it. You know what I mean? It's totally normal. I mean, let's just be honest. Let's be honest. If it, and, 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 and I have a daughter now, so I even hate using stuff like this, but fathers, let's be honest. As much as you would hate it, as much as it, you, would, you, would, you would really try hard not to go and murder someone, if your daughter came to you and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know I'm, I'm involved in a sexual relationship with my boyfriend, you may hate it, it may bother you, uh, you may hire a hitman, but at the end of the day, like, you're probably not going to be just shocked, right? Because, I mean, just having sex before marriage, that's just normal these days. That's just, that's not, I mean, that's just, that just is what it is. Dude, I mean, you're not married, nobody even cares, nobody even thinks this is not even the thing. It's just become standard. And a lot of time I hear, well, it's just not, I mean, that's just not, it's, we're totally cool with it, it's just this thing, it's just this thing, everybody's doing it, that's just, culture says it's fine, it's not even fine, it's not, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's, and here's what I want you to understand. Yes, you are right, it is incredibly normal to have sex before marriage. It is incredibly normal to explore your sexuality before marriage with several different people. It's incredibly normal. But I want to tell you what else is also normal. It's incredibly normal to get divorced. It's incredibly normal, 71% incredibly normal to have some sort of affair or unfaithfulness in the marriage. It's incredibly normal to hate uh, your spouse within the first 10 years of marriage. It's incredibly normal uh, that later on in life, your soul and your heart and your family will be ripped apart by the fringes of divorce. All of that is incredibly normal. All of that is incredibly normal. So here's what I want you to, you have to make up in your heart, you have to make up in your mind, is do you want a God-designed marriage? Do you want an amazing God-filled relationship? Do you want an amazing intimacy, trust, love, sex life in your marriage? Do you want marriage to be the greatest thing in your life? Then my plea to you this morning is stop doing what's normal because it's not working. It's not working. Yes, it's normal to have sex. It's also normal to be married three times. Yes, it's normal to explore your sexuality with your partner prior to marriage in this day and age and know nobody's going to say a word to you. But it is also normal to rip your family apart within the first 15 years of marriage. And the saddest thing is, is that within the average kid shows up within four years. And the average divorce takes place in eight, which means that more than likely most divorces involve one or more children whose life, the foundation of their life is now brokenness. That's normal, right? And I don't want to judge you. I don't want to condemn you, right? Because I've been there. I messed up in this area, but I want to tell you something right now. I want to be out of love. Keep doing things the world's way and you will reap the world's way later on. Absolutely. No doubt about it. 
You can be haughty and you can be arrogant and you can be you and you can just, God doesn't matter and that's the old thing and that's the ancient ways and that's this and that's that. And you can say and do anything you want to say and anything you want to do. And I promise you, I will love you and I will help you through your first divorce. I'll be there for you. But my prayer for you is that you will say up front, all right, Serving God's number one, and the one I see, I want, I want them to have a godly character, and I want to be able to grow in trust, and I want to have the right, godly, high standards in my life because I want the foundation of my marriage to be honoring God, not sinning against him. That's something you have to say up front, dude. Let me tell you something, dude. It is hard. Do you know why? Very, 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 very few people ever experience the fullness of marriage the way God intended it to be. Because very, very, very few people are single God's way, date God's way, marry God's way, and live God's way. So when you're thinking about dating somebody, Dude, she waited, what, seven, seven verses? She's like, hi, I'm dark. I have a little bit of an insecurity. Have you been having sex with prostitutes? <laughs> Dude, don't be afraid to throw that junk out there, man. I mean, call somebody out and say, listen, you're hot. I get it. All right, I, I, do I want to jump your bones? Yeah, I do. Right? Am I sexually attracted to you? Yeah, I am. But you know what? I want more than having sex with you right now. I want to still be in love with you 50 years from now. And so you got to, I know it's difficult. Man, I've been there, trust me. But you got to curb that thing which is good. Sacrifice which is good so that you can experience what is great later on. All right? God, the character growing trust, not just standards, the right standards. And number four, Taylor, you can go ahead and come up here. Number four. And this is one that I don't think people truly realize how, not just how valuable it is, but how revealing it is about the person you're thinking about dating and the person you're dating. And that is being continually unwaveringly supportive. And here's what I want you to say. Do you remember the dark insecurity that she, I'm dark, don't look at me, I'm dark. I want you to see his response to her. This is, this is his response. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. All right, yeah, he called her a horse. But I want you to understand, in, the, in, the, uh, in this culture, the Pharaoh's chariots, there were several horses that led, 12 in fact, that led his chariots everywhere that he went. And there were only 12. There could only be 12. And he would rotate. He would one or two or use, you know, a lot of them, but there were only 12. And that these horses were honestly, they were almost like deity. I mean, to them. They were, it was like, it, they were very white and they were beautiful. And they were just, and this is what he says. So this is what she kind of, she throws out that insecurity. And he said, girl, let me tell you something right now. This is what I think about you. You're a freaking horse. All right. You're the, you the Pharaoh's mare. All right. 
That's like, that's like if, if Courtney came to me, you know, all right, when her, I mean, she asked me, I'll never forget it. I'm, she's just so little and cute. She came to me when she was starting to get pregnant. She, well, she didn't start, she was pregnant. And uh, I guess starting to get pregnant is week three. So. And she came to me, and I remember the first day, I think that she, she felt fat. She felt fat. She came to me, and she said, she goes, because she's asked me this because she knows like one of the first things that I and, I and this goes against everything I just preached but one of the first things that I was like when I first saw <laughs> when I short story going on a double date alright supposed to go with this other girl on the way to pick up the two girls I see this one girl walking away from me so from behind and I, I was, I was like, dang. And I told my buddy, I was like, man, that's the girl we're gonna go out with next week. Well, so we show up to the double date, and there's the girl I was supposed to be with, and guess who was supposed to be his date? Courtney, the girl walking away from me. That I, in the middle of the date, I honestly got, I took her, in the middle of the date. And he te- he texts me in the middle, and he goes, did we just switch girls? I said, yeah, we did. <laughs> Sorry, bro. We're not friends anymore. I don't care. Right, so she, she's coming to me, because she, she made the comment. She was just talking, she was like, because I know that one of your you know, favorite attributes about me is. And I was just like, but let me tell you something. And I was like, dude, you are the hottest freaking thing I've ever seen in my life. And I want you more right now than I ever have in my entire life. Right? And I meant every word of it, right? Being truly supportive. Dude, I'm telling you, that's a God thing. Because how many people do we know? How many people in our lives, parents, friends, spouses, we feel more condemned, more judged, more exposed by those people in our lives than we do anybody else. And that's not the way that should be. I'm gonna tell you something. Your biggest supporter in your life should always be the one you're spending your life with. They should be supporting you from day one, continually encouraging, lifting up, building up, helping, not tearing down, not exposing weaknesses, not condemning, not judging, not you'll never make it, not you'll never do it, not that's too much for you, not you, dude, you can do it, anything your heart desires, you can do it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, prayed a lot about this one, and I believe that it makes the list of the top four. Because you can see early on, and here's what I want you to do, and, I, and I, my prayer is that relationships will literally end after this service, dating relationships. If right now, as a dating relationship, you do not feel supported, loved, built up, and protected, nothing's going to freaking change. I don't care if it's a guy. I don't care if it's a girl. If they're tearing you down today, they will tear you down tomorrow. You need to feel loved. You need to feel protected. You need to feel secured. You need to feel absolutely 100% that you are the apple of his eye, the apple of her eye. And if you do not feel like that, something is absolutely wrong with your relationship. 
I don't care how much money, I don't care how big the house, I don't care what drives him, I don't care about the dreams, I don't care about the body, I don't care about the athletic ability. If they have all of that, but they cannot make you feel loved, something is wrong. And they do not make you feel good about yourself, something is wrong. And to my married people, something's still wrong. And you need to fix it. You need to fix it. If the biggest fan of your life is not sitting across from you at night, sleeping next to you in your bed, something's wrong and you need to fix it. If you do not feel fully and wholly supported by the spouse that you've chosen to do life with, something is wrong and you guys need to fix it. Because if you feel torn down, if you feel condemned, if you don't feel like they don't believe in you, you will go around in this life feeling this big and any love that you did have will fade. Any trust that you had will fade. And if you never get a divorce, it really doesn't matter because you'll never experience what marriage was supposed to be. And so I wanna, I wanna say this again. Marriage is a God thing. Marriage is a God thing. You can't do marriage without God. You can't do love without God. You can't do sex without God. The way it's meant to be. All right? You need somebody that has godly character, that serves and worships Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. You need somebody that you in the, um, in the beginning of your relationship, you find true, genuine trust, and that trust grows. You need somebody with not the high standards, not even the same standards, but someone with the right standards so that the foundation of your marriage is honoring God and not sinning against Him. And you need somebody that supports you and supports what God wants to do in your life. All right. These are the couples that change the world. The ones where God is at the center of their relationship and they are each other's greatest support. They are each other's greatest fans. They don't need encouragement from anybody else because they get all the encouragement they need from the one that they love the most. In Nicholas Sparks' wildest dreams, he could not write a love story like the one God wrote for you. I promise you. In all of your wildest dreams and your wildest imagination, you could not fathom the things that God intends for you to experience in your marriage. A godly marriage is something to be pursued. It's something to be sought after. It's something to sacrifice for. And I believe with all of my heart that within this series, God is going to do some amazing things in some of the marriages in this church. I believe that God will save marriages in the course of this series. I believe that God will teach us how to lay foundations in our relationships so that we can experience the marriage he has planned for us. And so here's what I want us to do today. Right? with the ideas of, of, of fatal attractions. I don't want you to focus on them or who you're looking for. 
I want you to focus on you and you be able to answer in your heart and in your life, whether you're single, you've been married for 50 years, whether these four characteristics are a part of your life. Andy Stanley said this and nobody says it better. Become the person you were looking for is looking for, right? So much of the time, we are looking for the right person and we spend no time trying to become the right person. And so today, during our worship, we're gonna close with a song of worship like we always do. I want you to take your focus off looking for the right person. If you're married, I want you to take your focus off fixing the other person. And I want it to be on you. And you begin becoming who God wants you to be and becoming who you're looking for is looking for. Does that make sense? So I want you to understand, especially with the high standard, the, the, the right standard. If there's regret in your life, you're sitting here, you're engaged, you're married, and, and, and there's been some sin in your life, dude, leave it here. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. Right? He died on a cross for you 2,000 years ago so that you could leave that junk right here, right now, today. Right? Don't be condemned. Don't be judged. Live in grace. As we worship, turn your focus on yourself and truly ask yourself and pray, do I have these things in my life? And for me, to the marriage, to the married couples, ask yourself, am I my wife's biggest fan? Am I my husband's biggest fan? If you guys will stand with me. I pray, Lord, right now that you will let your spirit and your presence rest in this house, God. I pray, Lord, that you will just consume the depths of our hearts, God. I pray, Father, that you will open up our hearts and our lives to you, God, that, that we will be able to see your word so clearly this morning. And I pray, God, that we will, without a shadow of a doubt, God, know that marriage is a God thing and that we can't do it without you. And I pray, Lord, as these people begin to seek your face and begin to turn their, their, their focus on themselves and, and really asking you, God, and praying to you and, 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 and finding out, evaluating, are these four characteristics, are these, are these the greatest attributes in my life? Are these the things that, that I want someone to be attracted to in me? I pray, Lord, for all the single people in the room, Lord, that you will begin to move in their heart and move in their life uh, in such a way, God, that they will enter in into their next dating relationship uh, and, and let it just be the greatest thing they've ever experienced. God, let them just be so ready and so prepared on a God level, God, to date and to marry, Father. I pray, Lord, for all those couples that are already dating. You're in the middle of relationships, God. I pray, Father, that you will move in that relationship. And maybe your will is that that relationship ends and let us be okay with that. But I pray, Lord, that, that we don't think just because we've been dating for a year, dating for five years, that that's a good enough reason to get into a marriage when we know we shouldn't, Father. I pray, Lord, right now that you will reveal in our hearts, God, your will in our lives, God. Let us evaluate in our dating relationships of these four characteristics in our life. And for the married people, God, I pray, Lord, right now that you will move in their heart and move in their life, God. I pray, Lord, that you will reveal in them, Father God, whether or not their character is truly godly whether or not God is truly at the center of their relationship. God, whether or not they trust each other, if they have a relationship filled and founded on growing trust. God, whether or not those standards, your standards, your high and right standards are truly a part of their life, God. And most importantly, for the married people, 
Are they just unwaveringly supportive of each other? I pray, Lord, that you will consume us this morning. Let's just worship and pray in your holy and precious name.